You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Kate Young. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, June 27th, 2022. Later in the program, Indiana University hosted a panel of legal experts in light of the Supreme Court ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, protesters gathered for a demonstration and march in support of abortion rights. That's coming up next in your daily headlines. On Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court voted 5-4 to four to overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that recognized the constitutional right to abortion. Demonstrators gathered for a protest in March at the Monroe County Courthouse on Monday to speak out against the recent ruling. Ashley Colbertson, a protester and organizer with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, said she's not surprised by the Supreme Court decision. I mean, we knew that it was unpopular before. We saw mass demonstrations across the country just to the leak. Uh, I think that, one, it's not too surprising that this court, who would rule this way in the first place, does not care about um, the mass demonstrations that we saw in the streets and the mass public reaction against it. It's very clear that they do not care about what is popular with the American people, that they do not care about it being a democratic process. She said the ruling will impact generations to come especially low-income and traditionally marginalized communities. I, I think that it's going to be a very negative impact, especially on poor working-class women uh, in this country and people who are gender nonconforming, trans men in this country. I think that it's really going to hit those communities the hardest. I think that it's going to hit us the worst if the current Democratic administration, who says that it's pro-choice, is not able to together, pardon my French, uh, within its administration to provide something like a executive order that would allow abortion clinics to be built and used on federal lands. If he doesn't call a uh, health emergency in this country to be able to do that. And if when all these Democrats are telling us to go out and vote in November, if the candidates that this party is supporting are not candidates that are either pro-choice, like Nancy Pelosi is currently campaigning for a pro-life uh, Democratic senator down in the state of Texas, which we know is just one of the worst states when it comes to this issue. And also that any locally running representatives that you vote for, I think that you just have to make sure that they do not support the Hyde Amendment, will not have that on any of the future federal budgets, and that they're dedicated to ending the filibuster. I think that it's going to be a lot worse if we aren't able to get those actions done. And I think one of the most scary things for me is that, as Thomas said himself in uh, his ruling, that this also infringes on the rights to contraception, same-sex marriage, any of the anti-sodomy laws that we thought were archaic things of the past, that that is going to have even more of an impact on us in the future. Abortion is still legal in Indiana at the moment. However, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb called for a special session of the state legislature on July 6th. Culbertson speculated as to what she believes the state will decide next Wednesday. 
She also called out religious affiliated pregnancy centers in town. Um, I am really nervous that they are going to uh, be anti-choice, anti-reproductive rights in their decision that um, they will ban it across the state of Indiana. We've already seen that the crackdown that they have done on abortion clinics while it was still federally protected. So I think that that's just going to get worse. I think that honestly, for women in Indiana, it'll be hard to find a place to get an abortion. But that's why it's so important to see what you can do today. Today, we want to mobilize this to go towards a fake abortion clinic in town. They act like they provide health care services, but they actually do not. They will convince women to keep their pregnancy by purposefully lying to them. Uh, we want to be able to shut that down here locally. Uh, and we also want to uh, shout out just Planned Parenthood in town and also shout out uh, All Options Indiana, the Hoosier Abortion Clinic that provides absolutely wonderful services to women across the state of Indiana to provide transportation to abortions or actually provide the abortions themselves. Culbertson walked through what went into the organization of the protest and march. As soon as we heard the decision, we uh, knew that we have uh, flyers that have QR codes on it that link people to these abortion care resources. We knew that we have the ability and the resources to be able to organize something like this, where you're able to get this amount of people to one place who all agree on an issue. So we wanted to take that into uh, mobilizing these people to go up to the state house on the 6th to protest uh, as they decide on whether or not they will keep reproductive rights in the state of Indiana to inform people about the abortion services that are available in Indiana and are still available until that July 6th decision is made. A core council member of Black Lives Matter Bloomington said that BLM B-Town is organizing a fundraiser for reproductive support. For more information about the organization, visit blm.btown-in.org. Indiana University hosted a virtual press conference on Monday featuring experts to answer questions on the recent Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Experts commented on the various angles of the decision and what it means for reproductive rights in the United States. Jennifer Droback, professor of law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at IUPUI, commented on the recent decision. The overturning of Roe changes everything, even though the Supreme Court tried to cabin the decision to strictly abortion. Um, but as the dissent marks, it um, completely unravels what liberty means. And I don't think that you can do that and, and not anticipate as Justice Thomas indicated in his concurrence, this is that this is going to that this won't affect other rights, such as the right to procreation, um, the right to contraception, the right to marry the person you want, the right to raise, control, and nurture your children the way you think is appropriate. So there are a lot of issues here at stake. Professor Jody Madeira of the IU Mauer School of Law gave her initial reaction to the Supreme Court ruling. 
Yes, I think as uh, Professor Drobak said, this is indeed a post-Roe world, and we woke up on a in a very different realm uh, the next morning. Um, I do not believe we are going to be seeing the end of the substantive due process issue. I believe that uh, the court is on a mission to dismantle many rights, but I do not think that it has the votes to do so. And I think instead, uh, this is essentially sending a message to states that they need to begin dismantling these rights um, that are traditionally under substantive due process um, on the state level. And so I believe this issue will be very important, not uh, particularly now, uh, now more than ever, of course, in terms of women who want to have abortions. But if we want to reverse this, we need to take steps to actually uh, change this on the state level, and most importantly, look ahead to uh, federal elections in November. Professor of Law and Senior Scientist at the Kinsey Institute India Tusi said the SCOTUS decision will lead to harmful outcomes. The decision was as bad as it could get. Um, you know, Justice Alito removed some of the snark from the draft opinion, but substantively, this is this was horrible. This is the worst case scenario. So we're going to be in a situation where um, you know people aren't going to be able to access um, basic reproductive care, um, whether it's abortions. It could be. Um, you know, care after they're suffering from a miscarriage, um, care if they have an ectopic uh, pregnancy. Um, so this is going to have really broad implications that this decision itself. It's going to also have implications in terms of other rights. The methodology that the court adopted here is, is troubling, right? If the way that we look at whether a right exists is, does the constitution in the 18th century um, say that this specific right, as we're labeling it, so here they say the right to abortion um, is protected, then we're in deep trouble because there are a number of rights, even outside of um, substantive due process, that aren't specifically um, included in the Constitution in that way. And so I, I, I think this is a very troubling case um, just for um, people who are trying to access reproductive care, women, women with marginalized identities, non-binary people or transgender people, but also for you know other people whose rights are going to be implicated by the methodology that the court adopted here. Associate Professor at IU McKinney School of Law, Ayla Hoss, discussed the Supreme Court ruling from her area of focus. So my perspective is coming from an expert at the intersection of health policy and federal Indian law. And so before the, the Dobbs leak uh, and now the actual opinion being issued, there had been a lot of questions and narrative about pushing the abortion care on federal land and the added layer of tribal safe harbors and tribal safe havens. And I think that when we frame the uh, majority opinion in the context of rights at the time of the Constitution, both in terms of uh, cultural understandings of healthcare, cultural understandings of legal rights, it really doesn't align very well with many uh, accurately in terms of historical and cultural uh, access to. Uh, reproductive care at that time, especially when we think about uh, religious minorities, um, indigenous nations. The one thing that I think is incredibly important as we look at what this 
fix, post-Dobbs fix, is going to be that it's really problematic, both in terms of the law to look to tribal nations as a safe harbor. It's a very complicated area of law and, frankly, um, really politically unrealistic for um, many tribal nations to try to pursue that safe harbor. Um, but it also uh, is asking our, our tribal nations to fix a problem that they didn't create uh, and uh, well, kind of snapshot in terms of what's going on in Indian country wasn't at the start of the narrative when we think about the fact that uh, indigenous communities have had less active access to reproductive health care, including abortion care for decades, but that wasn't at the forefront of any discussion for so long. And so we have to think about the intersectionality in terms of access and in terms of solutions moving forward. Professor Drobak outlined how Indiana's abortion laws are currently constructed and weighed how they might change after a special session of the Indiana General Assembly on July 6th. Indiana law currently allows for abortion under certain circumstances. And um, and so, yes, it's still legal today um, under certain circumstances. Of course, the further along in a pregnancy you get, um, that means that the exceptions are going to have to kick in um, in the cases of rape, incest, maternal health, et cetera. And those are those in some of those situations, they're judgment calls. Um, but I think that our focus should not be so much on the past, which was very much part of the Supreme Court majority decision, um, but looking to the future, what will our rights be in the future? And the Indiana legislature has um, already determined that it's going to consider this issue. I, I wanna impress upon people the importance of, of the fact that the court focused on the right to abortion, but what it really ignored, and this is why the framing of this question is so important, what it ignored is that it's dealing with women, not just abortion. Women have a right, or at least did, have a right to bodily integrity, safety, and autonomy. And at the time that the 14th Amendment liberty uh, uh, constitutional provision was passed in 1868, Indiana had not yet passed the Married Women's Act, which allowed for women to own property in their own names, to have control over their own wages. And of course, women couldn't vote in those days. So the court's desire to take us back to 1868 basically takes us back to a time, and again, this goes to the issue of whether women are considered equal human beings under the law, it takes us back to a time when women were not. Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears announced on Friday that his office will not prosecute abortion-related cases if Indiana's Republican supermajority at the State House decides to criminalize abortion. Drobak says she appreciates that statement, but she cautions Indiana residents to not solely rely on the prosecutor's word. No, I just wanted to address another question, which I saw in the chat about Texas and how very few lawsuits have come forward to sue abortion providers. And I was at the rally um, 
on Saturday and heard that uh, one of our state officials saying that he would not prosecute uh, women or providers for accessing abortion in the state. And I also teach criminal law. And I want to caution people that while that's a very noble statement, um, there's a problem with trusting a state official who in a, in a very genuine way could say this won't be prosecuted. Um, if lawmakers decide to outlaw abortion and treat it as murder, which in some states they're going to be doing, the statute of limitations on murder is very long. And in some locations, there's no statute of limitations on murder. So that what won't be prosecuted today could be prosecuted years later if you have an abortion in a state that makes it murder. And so you cannot feel that you are safe because a the current district attorney or prosecutor in your area says that he or she will not prosecute. So I just want to make sure that people understand that and that this goes into it. The other thing I also um, want to address with respect to your prior question on the state legislature. State legislatures are composed predominantly of men, you know, and the, of course the constitution was written only by men. And it's not that men do not empathize or sympathize or are not feminist allies, but sometimes they have a hard time imagining what it would be like to be in the position of a person who can get pregnant. And what I say to my students is, Imagine that the state, because it no longer respects your autonomy and liberty interest in your bodily integrity, can take your kidney to save someone else. Under what circumstances should you be able to prevent the state from taking your kidney? And then go from there. Professor Madeira tackled a question on the right to privacy, specifically the type of information that healthcare providers would need to provide to enforcers of an abortion ban, if it were to happen in Indiana? I think this is a really interesting question. Uh, this is uh, Jody Madeira. I, <clears throat> this is protected health information under HIPAA. Um, and what's very interesting is that there's, there's going to be a number of resi uh, resistors to this. You know, there's going to be uh, imperfect compliance. And we've already seen uh, instances where for example, medical establishments don't comply with the law. For example, um, some in other states, um, some mental health practitioners have refused to turn the names of patients adjudicated um, incompetent, uh, involuntarily committed, basically, uh, which renders them um, unable to uh, illegally, uh, I'm sorry, unable to legally um, own or use a handgun under federal law. Mental health providers have already refused to turn patients' names over to federal background check authorities um, because of patient protected patient uh, information and concerns that that's going to stigmatize the patient. And I think we're going to see something very similar here. Um, call it conscientious objection, call it something else, uh, call it a lack of compliance. But I think uh, our providers are going to stand up for our women. Um, but they're they're not just going to get information from health providers. Um, they could get information from period tracking apps. They could get information from um, fictitious uh, lists that individuals put together in order to help women obtain access to abortion in other states. And so um, I think individuals are going to be 
um, having to be very careful with their health information and their questions um, in future days. Senior scientist at the Kinsey Institute, Kristen Joskowski, walked through the most frequent reasons why people seek abortions in Indiana based on her research. Sure. There's the most common, there's actually multiple reasons that people report for seeking abortion um, as far as com- you know, common reasons. Most notably, people not being ready to parent, people not being feeling they are um, financially, emotionally, or uh, prepared to parent uh, are the, the common reasons for people not wanting to parent at this point. One thing that I think is a misconception is that only young um, people who are not currently parents seek abortions, when in fact, the common profile of someone seeking an abortion is someone who is a current parent or who is currently a mother. Um, So there's also the issue of feeling as though they cannot adequately parent their current child if they were to have subsequent children. So seeking an abortion for those reasons as well. Um, And then people wanting to pursue education, pursue uh, professional tracks in terms of setting themselves up to be able to to parent later when they feel they may be more equipped or prepared for parenting. Those are the more common reasons that people um, seek abortion broadly across the country. And I imagine that stands true in Indiana as well. Uh, The exceptions that we mentioned before certainly do happen. The the exceptional circumstances, I should say, that we mentioned before, people seeking abortion due to um, rape or incest are complicated situations because sometimes people's definitions of rape and and those sorts of issues vary. And people don't always report that there's a lot of research to suggest that people don't report rape to, to law enforcement. And so depending on how you conceptualize sexual violence. Um, People also seek abortion for those reasons as well, but there's more ambiguity there because of some of the the parameters in which others may place on that sort of trajectory forward. But people do seek um, abortion for those other circumstances as well, just generally um, less less common, the the, the, um, not feeling prepared financially, emotionally, or not wanting to parent at this point um, to care for other children are the most common reasons for the more common reasons. Professor Joskowski touched on what means of support Indiana should offer if the state decides to ban abortion outright. There's, like, like I said before, there's likely going to be sort of three outcomes that people are going to find themselves in if they are wanting an abortion and cannot get one. They'll either continue pregnancies that they do not want to have and parent. Uh, it's It's rare, statistically, that people will adopt out about, I believe, two, roughly two to five percent of um, pregnancies are are uh, adopted instead of people parenting. So that's the rare circumstance that people will give a child up for adoption. So they more often will find themselves parenting, or they may uh, travel, which will require other sorts of means to to do that. It's not simply I can, you know, go across the state line. Um, there's likely waiting periods in, in other states that, that people may have to, to seek. Illinois, being a neighbor to Indiana, has more permissive um, laws regarding abortion that I'll let my lawyer colleagues here on this call speak to in a little more detail, but they'll have um, a little easier time in Illinois, but that still takes means to travel, means to um, 
deal with childcare. As I mentioned, a lot of people seeking abortion currently are parents. So there'll be childcare responsibilities that they'll be needing to decide upon. Often people are in a uh, middle or lower SES social economic status. So there's time off for work to contend with and being able to navigate that through a, a work environment. So there's a lot of external circumstances in order to seek an abortion outside of the state. So there's also going to be people who are going to do other self-managed mechanisms to, to seek abortion. So in terms of services, uh, I guess it depends on what people want. Um, if people want to continue pregnancies, support services like continued aid through, through um, social assistance, through having SNAP or other food assistance programs, through um, support for people who may not have the means to, to parent would be really essential. Um, I would argue from, from my perspective as a public health professional that continued comprehensive sexuality education, um, having, having preventative mechanisms in place so people experience pregnancy when they want to be pregnant and can parent when they want to parent. Um, so having knowledge and information and context to be able to make those decisions and engage in uh, precautionary behavior so they don't find themselves pregnant. Uh, but people will likely still find themselves pregnant when they don't want to be pregnant. And so having support, um, other things people may consider are abortion funds, having funds to travel uh, to get abortions if they if they want those abortions. Those will be other services that people may want to seek. So I guess it sort of depends on what people would want to do. Um, and that that's there's a lot of different outcomes that could uh, that people may choose. People may choose if there's a need um, or because there's going to be a need uh, in Indiana. Finally, Professor Droback discussed how public opinion, or the will of the people, shapes who is protected under constitutional law. Can I just chime in on public opinion and what people want, either through abortion regulation or, and you can extend it out from there as to the liberty interests more generally. But I'm very, very concerned about the opinion because on page 68 of the opinion, um, the court talks about in the majority opinion on how 26 states expressly asked the court to overrule Roe. The United States Constitution is our contract with the government, and the Constitution protects our rights as people who live in this country. What if 26 states asked the Supreme Court? to overrule Brown versus Board of Education and reimpose separate but equal and create a white dominated country? Would that justify the overruling of more than 50 years of equality for persons of color? And the problem that you get into when you speak only about public opinion is that you forget about the fact that we don't live in a pure democracy or women would control this world being more than half the population. What happens is, is that we lose our rights as inhabitants of this country. And I won't say citizens because we have more people living here um, who are not citizens. And so we need to pay attention to individual rights vis-a-vis -vis the power of the state. And that's, I think, something that's been lost in some of the discussion. For now, abortion is still legal in Indiana. 
Certain states have trigger laws which limit or outlaw abortion when Roe versus Wade was overturned. Indiana is not one of those states with trigger bans on the books. However, as previously stated, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb announced a special session of the state legislature on July 6th. Governor Holcomb confirmed on Friday that abortion will be discussed. The governor said, quote, The Supreme Court's decision is clear and it is now up to the states to address this important issue. We'll do that in short order in Indiana. I have been clear in stating that I am pro-life. We have an opportunity to make progress in protecting the sanctity of life, and that's exactly what we'll do. Thank you.